Hello, my name is Dean Bobar, and I am the Adult Life Minister at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. As a church, we are seeking to cultivate a vibrant community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world so our neighbors may also experience God's goodness. You're listening to our Year in the Bible podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. As we finish Isaiah this month and move to Jeremiah next month, I thought it would be prudent and good for us to do a podcast on the big picture of the prophetic books, specifically the overall message of the books. These books are often difficult to understand, but also very important for understanding God's purposes for his Messiah, for God's people, and for God's world. I wanted to approach this topic, a special topic, by addressing three ways of understanding the purpose and message of the prophetic books. So here we go. The prophetic books are centered on three things, foretelling and foretelling, the present in light of the future, and finally, God's promises for the future. The first focal point is that the prophetic books are about foretelling and foretelling. In other words, God's prophets speak both about the future ahead of time, foretelling, and speak forth truth into the present situation of God's people, foretelling. Now, between the two, the prophets are more about foretelling than foretelling. More on this later. Here's a good basic definition of the prophets. The prophets are God's spokespeople who communicate God's will for God's people. In the prophetic books, the people of Israel are living in the shadow of empire. To be precise, God's people from the 8th century through 5th century BC experienced God's disciplinary judgment through the Neo-Assyrian, the Neo-Babylonian, and the Medo-Persian empires. There are three historical periods that the writing prophets speak to, each one matching up with one empire. There's the Assyrian period, circa 750 to 612 BC, where we see the rise and domination of the Neo-Assyrian Empire, including the Assyrian conquest of the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC. Second, we see the Babylonian period from about 612 to 539 BC with the rise and domination of the Neo-Babylonian Empire, including the Babylonian conquest of the southern kingdom of Judah in 586 BC. And finally, there's the Persian period, circa 539 to about 400 BC, which includes the rise and domination of the Medo-Persian Empire, with the return of the southern kingdom to the Promised Land beginning in 538 BC, and the rebuilding of the temple in about 516 or 515 BC. Now, in addition to judgment, God is also acting to save and restore his people after the time of judgment. We can see this in the return of the exiles and the rebuilding of the temple, at least in, during the Old Testament period. God's desire is that his people would repent and return to him and the covenant he had made with them at Mount Sinai. This is the focus of the fourth telling. The foretelling revolves around the warning of judgment and the hope in God's promises for the future. This leads us to the second focal point. The prophets are also concerned with speaking primarily about the present in light of the future. And this might come as a surprise to newer readers of the Bible. God's spirit directed the prophets to speak in various ways 
see Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3, in order to evoke a response from God's people, that they would trust in God, turn from their idols to worship the one true God, repent from their wickedness, and live out God's righteousness and justice. A great summary of God's requirements to the prophets comes in Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. These verses read, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness or faithfulness in another translation, and to walk humbly with your God. God's people had forgotten what God had required of them through his covenant with them. They had been, quote-unquote, going through the motions with their worship of God, doing the rituals but missing the point of them, and even mixing pagan elements in their worship. In addition to improper worship, their society had become corrupt, filled with injustice. The rich and powerful had exploited the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner were not being looked after by God's people. God's desire that his people would live the life that he intended for them as his image bearers. God's requirement was to humbly trust in God, to love faithfulness to God, and to live life, lives characterized by God's justice. Not all prophets use this exact phrasing, but these verses are a great example. Keeping in mind Micah 6, verses 6 through 8, will give you a good handle on what God's prophets expected of God's people in the present in light of God's promised future. The final focal point is God's promises for the future. Now, it's difficult to summarize all of God's promises for the future that he would do as we find them in the prophetic books. At the outset, we need to keep in mind that most of the promises relate to the immediate future, whether we're talking about judgment or salvation or restoration. Out of all the prophecies concerning the future, it's estimated that only about 5% relate to the distant future, including the Messiah's coming, God's promised outpouring of the Spirit, and the final judgment and reestablishment of God's rule over all nations, just to give a few examples. We can think of God's promises in terms of God's presence, God's people, and God's place. First, God makes certain promises concerning his presence. God would deliver God's people once again in a new exodus. Patterned after the exodus from Egypt, back in Exodus, God would deliver God's people from the oppressive hand of the Neo-Assyrian, excuse me, Neo-Babylonian Empire. As with the first exodus, the goal of God's work of redemption was for God's presence and glory to be among his people, so that God's people might worship and serve him alone. The dwelling place for God was first the tabernacle, and then the the temple in Jerusalem. So God's new work of redemption would include a restoration of the temple. When this actually did happen, the new temple was much smaller and much less glorious and impressive. We can also speak of God's promises for the future in terms of God's people. God's people would be rescued and restored through the establishment of a new covenant. The new covenant relationship would be better and more effective in leading God's people to do what he required. 
See Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Under the old covenant, God's people were led by a Davidic king. So one major promise in the prophetic books was the restoration of the Davidic throne. This is one of the dominant pictures of God's future deliverer for God's people, especially in New Testament times. This never occurred during Old Testament times, but this was fulfilled through the incarnation of God's son in Jesus of Nazareth. See, for example, Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 15, and Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. God's people would also experience restoration through an outpouring of God's spirit to live according to God's righteousness. See, for example, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 through 27. Finally, we explore God's, pres- God's promises for the future in terms of God's place. In addition to a new exodus and a new covenant, the prophets also spoke of a new creation. In the future, God will rescue and restore all of creation, not just the promised land, to experience God's goodness and glory. The restoration of God's place would begin with the return from exile of God's people as he gathered them and as God's judgment upon the people of Israel came to an end. See, for example, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. In addition to this, God's people would be involved in global mission, inviting God's people to come and know the one true God. See, for example, Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 4. This is by no means the only way to understand God's promises for the future in the prophetic books, but hopefully you see some of the pieces of the tile in the mosaic. It's my hope that it would give you a roadmap to grasp God's promised work of redemption, which has been and is being fulfilled in Christ and through the Spirit. For Jesus' followers, we get to see the pattern of promise and fulfillment into which Jesus and us as the church can live into. We can find our place in the story of redemption as God gives us the script through God's word. Thanks so much for joining us for our Year in the Bible podcast. If you'd like to hear more about our Year in the Bible campaign to subscribe or learn how you can become engaged with us as a church, please visit us at cpchb.org.